That's a bit scary. Some get to be with so many familiar faces, some that I've known for decades. That's, that seems incredible, doesn't it? Peter walked up to me this morning and said, you're looking younger. And I thought, with this? That's a nice the hair. I wouldn't have as much hair for Janet Lyson like that. So I'd shave the beard, cut the hair short and everything. But I'm loud. I wouldn't be eating if I did that. Uh, hey, you know, this time of year is often dubbed what? Silly season, right? Called as what? Thanks, Sean. Come on, guys, beat me. It's called the silly season. Why? Because people get their life out of balance. It is at the height of suicide time. And people get their life horrifically out of balance. And they run from event to event until they've lost control of time. Oh, better start that, shouldn't I? And they cram last minute work tasks to finish the end of the year. People just go into a frenzy. And then they get their finances out of control. You just watch the media. How many people max out their credit card? And every year we talk the spending. Every year, no matter how bad spending is here. And if you want to go to America right now, we're just getting 65 cents on our dollar over there. And it's, it's horrible. I'll tell you the other thing, too. It's so good to see new generations here. I, I just came back from America ministering over there. And they're saying 1,500 churches a month shut their doors in America. Not only that, 1,500 pastors a month call it quits. That's horrendous. And they know they need to turn that around. So it's great when you see the new generations in. You know, when older people like me start moaning about, I shouldn't confess, I should confess about all oh, the young people are taking over and they're catering for young people. What is the option? To let it grow old until it dies? I keep giving you birth. I like what my mentor said when they, I, you know, he was planting a church in Washington, D.C. And I said, hey, what are you doing that for? There are a lot of great churches that would love to have you as pastor. He said, Pete. It's easier to give birth than raise your dead. <laughs> so, and this is a crazy time of the year, and that's why your series on balance is awesome, because people search high and low to find balance. And it just, it, it eludes them. Finding healthy balance is easier said than done. And it, because we wrestle, I don't know about you, but we wrestle with adjusting time between work and play, job and family, church and job. All this stuff. Some of us struggle with the balance of healthy eating. Some of us just eat. Which I'm not doing a lot right now. Because Janice the cook, not me. I can boil an egg. I learned how to do that. I even had to go on YouTube to find out how to do that. That's pretty poor, isn't it? Like, that's bad, but that's the way it is. So, you know, when you look at the life of Jesus and his teaching, you can see something valuable about balance. Something comes out, even in the face of the demands to minister to people and how they demanded him, he took time to switch off, get away from the crowd, and, and, and just get rest, get balance. He waited on purpose. Not that one yet. I see it. You guys know Simeon. Go back just to the intro slide. Thank you. Good. You know, for a number of years at Victory, we've actually dedicated the month of July to be a Sabbath month. A month of rest. I know that sounds weird, doesn't it? Because we're in the Old Testament. Can I say something about the Sabbath? When did God ever say it was finished? When did he ever say it's done? As a matter of fact, there's a thing in the Bible called the law of firsts. You ever heard of that? When something is mentioned for the first time, it therefore, every time after, determines the meaning of that thing. Guess where Sabbath was first mentioned? When God himself took a rest. 
And if God established that for himself, not because he was busy, not because he was tired, not because he was out of balance, but because he saw the necessity of putting this in for us so that we could rest. And yet we just work our freckle off trying to get things done, realizing it's not really done. And so for us, July's middle of winter, makes sense, things go slow. You know, so we scale back on activities and, and we encourage people to spend time resting. Recreate, celebrate, enjoy your family. Stop going from meeting to meeting, church thing to church thing, work thing to work thing. And, and we take time to meet with God because it's in that time that all of a sudden our life's purpose becomes clear. It's not foggy anymore. Here's something people want, oh, what's my life for? Wait on purpose. You'll find out. Because I believe it's one of the most critical, crucial series we do every year. It's when we stop, we wait, we listen, we recalibrate, and we regain our strength. And, and even, you know, you think about it, even with all our gadgets today that's supposed to make our life so easy and quick and convenient, it's done nothing but take more of our time. Think about it. How many, how many were alive before smartphones? Put your hand up. Okay, how many, how many never remember a time without smartphones? Put your hand up. Ooh, you're out of balance. I thought there'd be more the other way. There's a generation now that doesn't know what it's like to not walk around like this. Now, they have no clue. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty mean. Because in the mall, in the square, I want to stand in front of them, see if they're going to run into me. Because they don't want to look up. I love that commercial that says, we're always connecting but never connected. And our life is out of balance because we've got all of these gadgets and we've got all of these things that are supposed to appliances that make our lives quicken up, and, and it, but yet life still seems to be lived at a hectic pace. I, I can't remember life being busier than it is now. So we take the time to wait, rest. And I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but I'm not the best person at learning to wait. I know, I know. I know, you can't, you just, no, you say, no, nah, that's not you. Listen, honest truth, I think waiting is evil. I think hell is made up of lines. I love going overseas. I hate going through airports. I want to shout bombs where everybody scatters and I go through. Except I'll be Listen, I'm telling you, I get impatient with a microwave. I do. I stand there and I'm going, would you flip and get my meal done? i got to eat. I don't understand why they can't make a kettle that boils instantly. Bam! Hot water! I stand there and come on, kettle. Tea leaves are waiting. Need to boil. Did you know that the biggest argument that Janet and I have is not over spending, it's not over holidays, it's not over sex, it's not over. Oops, and it's none of that stuff. It's not even what we do on a holiday. Our worst fights are when she makes me laugh. Period. I love the Dulux paint commercial. You remember that one? The guy and his wife are going out for the night. And he's standing there waiting by the door. And she walks out with her dress on, looks in the mirror. Mm, I don't like this one. I think I'll go change. And he goes, I think I'll fix the door. She comes back out with another dress on, looks at this. Oh, no, I don't like that. And he goes, I think I'll paint the door. That's my life. <laughs> we only have two vehicles, so I can go separate from Jenna. That's true. And listen, I'm telling you, I hate waiting. And I even have these discussions with God when he doesn't do something quickly or instantly. Like, I know you're in the ancient of days, but I don't live that long. Get it done. <laughs> he just doesn't say anything. I rant, he stays silent. 
But now we can put that next slide up because as Pastor Simeon, I was going to claim it and you put it up and put his name on that. But anyway, um, he said waiting is essential for our transformation and for our spiritual formation. We don't change without waiting. You know the scripture that says, you know, when we're in the presence of God, 2 Corinthians 3, 7 and 8, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and we are being changed. That's a word from metamorphosis. We're changing from looking, acting, and sounding like this to something altogether different. But it doesn't happen until you're in the presence of God and you wait. You come out radically different. And it's something that I not only had to accept but to embrace. Great things happen in the wait room. Listen to me. We draw close to God. We just push everything aside. We see ourselves for who we are in his mirror, not in what the world tells us to We get new strength. They that wait upon the Lord do what? Get new strength. The word wait in Isaiah 40 uh, means to trust, to hope. When I'm in the presence of God and I turn on the faith muscle, I get new strength. When I'm in the presence of God, I get rid of the clutter, the noise. I can hear him. Why don't you practice this sometimes? Why don't you practice driving without your phone on, or the music on. <gasps> we can't do that. Somebody might need to get us. Okay, brain surgeons out there. I think they'll be all right without you for about 30 minutes. The world isn't going to go uh, brain dead without you answering the call. Serious. Turn everything off. Just get before God. And, and, and you know what will happen? You begin to hear him like you have never heard him before. And it's something I had to learn in the waiting. And it's this. And this is why this is hard to preach. Something special and specific and powerful happens when we wait on purpose. Our life gets recalibrated. It gets readjusted. We can restart. And we can start so powerfully. We see this in the life of Jesus. He actually practiced waiting. Even though there are a lot of demands on him. How many times do you read Jesus was trying to just walk along and the crowds thronged him? They just pressed him. They demanded things from him. Come on, if you are the Son of God, do this. I need that. And they're just after him all the time. So he deliberately blocked out the noise, got rid of the clutter, and went away and waited on purpose. He literally did that on purpose because he actually got clarity from his father about his life as he waited on purpose. I want to show you this. It's, there's balance found in the waiting, and you'll see this in Luke chapter 4. So, you can turn your Bible there or it'll be on screen, but let me give you the background before we get there. In Luke chapter 3, Jesus has come out to the wilderness. His cousin John the Baptist baptizes him. The Holy Spirit descends on him, stays on him, which is significant. And, and the heavens open and the Father says, this is my son. I am well pleased with him. Straight after that amazing moment, Jesus goes off in the desert. He fasts, he prays. Forty days the devil is at it. Bam, bam, if you if you are, if you are. And the Bible tells us that in, in Luke 4 that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He actually came out of that alone time in the power of the Spirit. I find that amazing. Even the Son of God needed the power of the Spirit. Like, I don't need to try to explain it. But what happens, it goes on and says he was teaching in their synagogues and the news about him spread. People were amazed. God, oh, we never heard teaching like this except in his home church called the synagogue of Nazareth. It didn't go so well there. He lands at home, his home church. This is where he would have learned to read and write. Did you know that? 
the kids, particularly the boys, learn to read the Torah, the law, by going to the synagogue. And so he goes in there, and they know who he is, yeah, the carpenter's son, but all of a sudden they hand him the scroll of Isaiah to read. He stands up and he turns to, or rolls it out from Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, he has anointed me, meaning chosen and empowered. And all of a sudden he closes the book and he, he sits down and they're staring at him, what is who do you think you are? So he says, this is about me. That was a bad day. You know what happened? They drove him out of the synagogue, tried to drive him to the edge of the cliff, and tried to drive him over the cliff to kill him. It's a bad day when people want to kill you after you preach. Bad day. And I, I don't know how this happened. My mind goes crazy because Luke is the he's the he's the doctor of detail, and he doesn't give us the detail. All he says is Jesus walked right through the crowd. How did that happen? Did he disappear? And they went, or did he just all of a sudden have a power bubble around him and they couldn't get in? Or what was it? I don't know. All I know is he walked through the crowd and they couldn't push him over the edge. But you know what he did? He said, all right, you won't listen. I'm going around the lake and I'm going to another town in Galilee called Capernaum. For the rest of his ministry on the planet, he based himself out of this little town called Capernaum. And it was the home of Peter's mother-in-law. And he goes there expecting to get a meal. She's sick. Bam, he heals her. And the next thing you know, Everybody's bringing the demonized, the sick, the infirm to him. And it went for hour after hour after hour where he healed everybody who had any infirmity. Not one person left there without being healed. And it leads us to our text now, Luke 4, 42. If you're there, that's fine, or it'll be on the screen. Now when it was day, and you know what that says to me? He possibly ministered all the way through the night. You know... It's not just preaching. When you pray for a person and you give your heart and soul into it, and you're, you're, you're trusting God to do a miracle, man, energy goes out of you. I'm telling you now, I know what Jesus meant. Not quite at the same level, but when the woman in the crowd touched him, he turned around and goes, who touched me? I can imagine Peter, typical Peter, with this, you know, this running off at the mouth going, duh, who didn't touch you? There are hundreds of people around you right now. Who touched you? I don't know. Somebody touched me with intent thinking they're going to get something from me, and they did. Power left my body. And all of a sudden, he's worn out. What does he do next? When it was done, when all this was gone, people were gone home, he departed and went into a deserted place. Can I tell you, you will never know your purpose when you've got a crowd around you. That doesn't mean, don't have people around you, but I'm saying, you are not going to hear the Father among the noise of the voices of a crowd who are demanding from you. Went to a deserted place. Then the crowd sought him, came to him, tried to keep him from leaving them. Why not? Successful ministry. We'll have the Jesus first banner put up. And, and we'll, we'll promote you all over the nation. And people will come. We will build it and they will come. How, do you, how many of you know that's not a prophecy? It's a line from a Kevin Costner movie. And he said to them, typical, he was probably polite like an Aussie. He probably went, yeah, no. He said, I'm not going to do this. Why? Why aren't you going to do this? I must. I must. Do you know what? When you find out the purpose of God, it becomes the one thing you must do in life. There's a lot of things you can do, but there's one thing you must do. You know what that thing is? Well, you get to call God and wait, and you'll find out. I read a book while we were away called Half Time by Bob Buford, a uh, Christian businessman. 
He talked about how I mean, he was successful, he earned all the money you could have, he had all the toys in the world you could have, and he found all of a sudden in his 40s, he hit the wall. And he thought, there'll be more to it than this. So he started seeking God about what's next. So he went to see a life coach business guru. That's like, it blows my mind because this guy is like at the top of the business world. He coaches people. That's like Roger Federer get the tennis coach. Like, who coaches Roger Federer? And, uh, and you know what the one guy said to him? He said, Peter, draw three circles. Put the, the three most important things in your life in those circles. Now, I want you to go away for a, a bit of time, and I want you to really think about this. When you come back to me, only one of those things from the circle can come down in the back box. That's what you're going to live for in your second half of your, your career. One thing you must do. And his book says, the first half of my working life, I was driven for success. And I got it. The second half of my working life, I am now moved for significance. And that's how I, I affect the lives of other people so that they become successful. And that was the one thing in his box. Jesus said, there's one thing in my box. I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also because this is the purpose I have been sent. And then Luke says, and anyone about doing it? He went around Galilee preaching. You go, hang on, hang on. He's like, wasn't he here to heal the sick? Sort of. But that wasn't his one purpose. That wasn't his mission. Wasn't he here to reach the lost? Yeah, but that wasn't his one purpose. That wasn't his mission. His mission was to get the kingdom of God to all the cities he could get to. And Jesus made a, made a priority to take time out to go, I need to get this. I need to get this or I'll get out of balance because the demands are so big on my world. I've got to wait on purpose. So my question is, are you too busy to wait? In this hectic, frantic world where all these demands come through, all our gadgets and all our online stuff and all our work stuff and even church stuff, are you just too busy to wait? I, uh, I'm astounded. I get amazed when people say they don't have time to wait on God. I just don't have time for devotions. I don't have time to pray. I, I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time to do this or do that. Listen, I, I, I'm shocked. I used to run a pastor's prayer summit in the region years ago. I used to say to the local pastors around the whole region, hey, we all get together, go away for a couple of days and just seek God together for our region. See what God wants to do in the city. You think every pastor in the city got, I'm in. Did you know far more said no than yes? And you know what the reason was? I'm too busy. I don't have time to go away and pray with you. I'm Golly, how are we ever going to reach this city? How are we ever going to have revival when the pastors, the shepherds, are too busy to pray together? Because it's in waiting that Jesus connected with his Father. Do you know that? He, in John, he said, I only, I only do what I see my Father doing. Where did he see that? God saw it in heaven, back yonder. No, he didn't. He saw it in his alone time with him. You know, even before he chose the 12 to be apostles, you know what he did? He prayed the night before, all night. God, there's a lot of people around me now. None of them look like they could really qualify. Remember that smelly fisherman? We got dirty tax collectors. We got immoral people. So, all right, Dad, who are the 12 you want me to have? And you know that John 17, his last prayer that we have recorded apart from on the cross is finished. The last prayer that he prayed, and he said, Father, these are the men you gave me. You know, how did he know that? Because he spent time with his father. He didn't just randomly choose these 12 guys because they had credentials. Probably one of them had a credential. 
And it was in the waiting that he connected with his father. It's in that time that his purpose was made clear. Let me read it again in Luke 42, out the New Living, uh, Luke 4:42. It says, early the next morning, Jesus went to an isolated place. The crowd searched everywhere for him, and when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave. You the man, don't leave us. We need you. Here's a revelation I got out of it. And it's this. The first one is that Jesus' life was ordered by something higher. In other words, the tyranny of the urgent did not hijack his day. There is always something or someone important that will crowd into your day and say, We need you. We have to have you. Nobody can do it like you. I'm amazed at how many tradies don't respond to that. Sorry, Sean. It's true. You ring a tradie. I can't get there until next week. I don't know if that's just because they're all sipping lattes or if they're genuinely busy, but they don't come until next week. They don't know how to say no. Jesus knew how to say no. He was directed by something higher, listen, than even the needs of people. Jesus did not come to meet the needs of people. I know that sounds cold and calculated, but he came to advance his Father's kingdom, which then impacted people. Because there is another kingdom out there that needed to be stopped. It wasn't just about, somebody needs healing. No, an enemy needs to be beaten. This is the revelation. You know, here's Jesus. He has an amazing meeting all night the night before. Everybody brought to him is impacted by God. Now imagine that. Imagine next week they said, preacher can't come. You're all. <laughs> you get up and you do your best. You're shaking. But you do your best. Bam! Everybody in the room has an encounter with God. It goes on until nighttime. I want to tell you what. You would be on everybody's Facebook and Instagram post immediately. You're the man. You're the woman. Come on. We'll change the name of the church with your name out there. Put it on the sign. People were looking for him. They begged him. We need you. No one teaches like you. No one can help people like you. You've got to stay with us. We'll, we'll promote you. Yeah, his calling and his purpose was higher than the needs of a handful of people. It's about a whole planet. Because here's the truth, guys. There will always be more needs than we can meet. You know, one of the biggest, biggest difficulties when you go into places like Asia, we even saw it in America, walking downtown, Nashville, Washington, D.C., all the big cities we were just in. How many beggars are on the street? You walk through Asia, and it's not just beggars. You see the ones with limbs missing and even diseases and all kinds of things. One of the biggest dilemmas is, who do you give money to? Who do you help? There's so many. And you can't meet the needs of everybody. You can't save everybody. There was a session at a leadership class at Liberty University when I was there. The professor asked all of us little bright sparks. So define the call of God. So we got to work. 50 of us got to work. We all came up with the call of God means meeting their needs. Wherever there's a need, that's where God calls us, and that determines our purpose. And he said, well, if that's the case, then every one of you ought to pack your bags now and head towards China or India. That has the biggest needs. And, and listen, while needs certainly are part of the call, they cannot determine God's purpose for our life. The people needed Jesus to stay with them, continue, continue to minister to their needs, but the rest of the world needed the gospel of the kingdom. And you know, it's flattering to our soul. Oh, they need me. I heard somebody once, they looked at all the people that caught them on Facebook and they went, oh, they like me. And I went, sweetheart, that's just vision. 
when they make me the price of Christ. Don't get your security and your soul by who follows you on a device. And, and, and listen, it must have been it must have been flattering to Jesus going, Oh, they need me. My town rejected me. They want to get rid of me. These guys want me to stay. I think I'll stay. Realize there's an innate characteristic built within each one of us, within you and me. There is a need to be needed. Listen to me. This is important. And what I'm saying is that it's wrong to meet those needs so that I feel important. Let me say it again. It's not wrong to meet needs. It's wrong for me to meet those needs so that I feel needed. Right? Jesus went to a pool once, and it was a pool where multitudes of sick people gathered at once. There was a time where they thought an angel would come down and stir the waters, and they could see the water stirring, and the first sick person in that water would get healed. There was a crippled man there, hoping somehow he could drag himself into the pool and fall in the water first and get healed. Jesus comes up and asks him what's he want. He heals the man. Bam! Then he turns and walks away. One person he healed out of all the hundreds that would have been there. Why? That's the only one the Father wanted to heal at that moment, at that time. Yeah, but they all had a need. The world has a need. We're not here to save the world. We're here to do the will of the Father wherever he sends us. And, and here's the deal, guys. I don't find my life's purpose in meeting needs. I meet needs out of my life's purpose. Can I say that again? I think we've got it on the screen somewhere. I, I don't find my life's purpose in meeting needs. I meet needs out of my life's purpose. When I know what the Father says, here's where I want you to go. Here's who I want you to talk to. That's, this is what I want you to do. I know I've got a calling, an anointing, and a mission from God that's not me trying to make it happen, but God empowering it to happen. It's a purpose. Meeting needs didn't decide Jesus' call. And, and, and I see people so hard, uh, trying so hard to meet the needs of others that they actually even neglect their own families. There's a story of a, an evangelist from years and years ago. He was a famous baseball player in America. He got radically born again, and he just went for it. Went for it with all of his life. Um, and he had two sons, and he neglected his wife, neglected his sons. He had thousands saved in his crusades. On his deathbed, you know what he said? He said, my, I've gone out and saved the world and lost my own sons. Some people are so busy trying to feed others spiritually that they don't even have time to strengthen and feed themselves. And this is not right. Even Jesus himself took time to wait on purpose with his Father. And it was in that time that, that it was clarified for him. He said, this is why I was sent. I know why I'm here. My Father's just told me I can't stay here and do this as nice as it would be. And as much as you need me, the rest of the world needs the kingdom of God. Our life's purpose comes not from what we do, but who the Father says we are. And what he's trusted us to do then, and in that order. Who I am, and what he trusts me with. Not the other way around. You know, the highest thing that can order our life is to hear the Father saying, you know, you are my beloved. I'm pleased with you. And it's not likely we're going to hear that when we're so busy trying to save the world. When we have times with him, like one day he goes up on a mountain, they call it transfiguration. You know that word is the exact same word we get in Second Corinthians of being transformed. He didn't look like the same human being when all of a sudden his glory appeared. He was transformed. 
Peter, James, and John are watching it, mouth open. And in that moment, he let them hear and see what it was all about. This is about my father saying, you are my beloved son. And this time he already said, he didn't just say, I'm well pleased. He said, you are the chosen one. You know what that meant? Before time existed, you were chosen. No one else could do this mission of the kingdom but you because you were chosen. And that just kept getting reiterated in his soul. What do you think the father must have said back to him in the garden of Gethsemane when he's bleeding with drops of sweat? Father, take this thing away from me. We don't hear what the Father says back. But I'm sure he would have said something like, you're my chosen son. Just remember, you were born for this. Just remember, for this cause, you came. I kind of got this, uh, this revelation when I had to battle with it. And, and I don't know about you, but in my job, I had to battle with the need to be needed. I got the revelation and the truth that first and foremost, God didn't need me for a task. God never asked me to do something for him. He asked me to do his will with him. He, he, he wanted to be my father, not my boss. He's not my employer. He's my father. I'm not his employee. I'm his son. I don't do the family business. I do with the father his works. And that had to be a revelation for me because it was all about man, the world just needs people like me. And I got this revelation when I was waiting on God, or as Simeon said, I, was, I had to spend time in the weight room. And God made me spend time in the weight room. It's like he sat me down in my chair and put his big hand on me and said, you're not moving until you get this. You're not my employee. When we go back to the text in Luke 4, it tells us this in verse 42. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. And he didn't know this is common practice for him. So here's the second point and the second revelation. The importance of Jesus' life was settled in these moments. In other words, the need for significance did not determine his focus. Listen to me, because there's another thing built within every one of us as humans. We, we, we have this thing inside of us going, I just need to be important. I need to know my life matters for something. You even hear it when a, a teenager gets tragically killed in a car accident because some drunk driver hit them or something. Their parents then go on a, a crusade setting up a fund and a campaign in their name knowing that their death counted for something. And that's not wrong, but it's built within us. We need to know that our life matters for something. And we see in Luke chapter 4 that something did take place. Jesus was well liked by the crowd at the moment. I said, you're successful, you're significant, you're important to us. Be careful when the crowd tries to determine that for you. Crowds can be pick, uh, pickled. You know, that uh, at one stage they're, 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 hey, they're cheering him on, they're setting up a crusade for him, and then just a few years later they're crying, crucify him. The same crowd that will applaud you might one day reject you and turn away from you. You know what that's called? I need the approval of the people. I need to feel important to you. And I need that. And Jesus didn't allow that. You know, he, at, at that moment when he did this healing, he would have been the most popular conference speaker on the next ticket. Here's the next presence speaker. He's going to have more podcast feeds than Stephen Furtick. He didn't let popularity determine his steps or his decisions. Jesus didn't need the approval of any person to know that he was important. 
Not even his mother, which was significant. She came along at times and tried to move him one way or the other. He goes, hey, hey, let's get things in order here. All right. And, and I know what you're thinking. You must be thinking, wait didn't we just read about his purpose? Wasn't Jesus sent on a mission to gain our salvation? That he was to die on the cross for our sins? Of course he was. He said about himself, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. That is the mission of the kingdom. But don't forget what, what preceded that mission. What, what happened before that mission was the Father saying, you are the chosen one. It's who he was determined that he was able to do what he did. The chosen one. That was his mission. It flowed out of the man, Jesus. And so here's the revelation. What I do happens because of who I am, not because of somebody is, is ticking a box saying, we like you. We approve of you. We need you. You're significant. You're successful. You're important. Because Jesus' ministry was not even defined by success. Think about it for a minute. This guy from Nazareth, 2,000 years ago, he didn't write a book. He didn't have a budget. He didn't own any property. He, even the clothes that was on his back, they stripped off and gambled for him. All his followers left him. He didn't have a crowd anymore. Nothing to show success. We used to joke with the nomination I came from. I won't say what it was. But we used to joke. We show success with the three Bs. Buildings, budgets, and bodies. If all of those are increasing, we are successful. Well, Jesus was an utter failure if that's how you measure success. Interesting. He had, he had two defining moments in Luke 4. You know, you know what the first one was? Absolute failure. His home church wanted to kill him. That's a bad one, isn't it? But then all of a sudden, oh, just a little bit later, he's at Capernaum, and bam, ministry breaks open. Which one defines him? Neither. Which one says he's successful? Neither one. Listen, here's the deal, guys. Being alone with the Father doesn't just give us direction. It defines us. This is who we are. This is what we're trusted with. And if I could drive anything home to you today, it would be the challenge to plan to wait on purpose. In your busy world, with all your devices, all your gadgets, all your, all your meetings and tasks and to-do lists and everything, when you wait on God, you're not going to hear him in 30 seconds. You throw up a quick prayer. All right, God, I need this. Aren't you kind of stunned when there's silence? He said, well, let's kind of, kind of declare a bit before you do. I, I, as I said to you, I don't like waiting. I, I, I want to know, bam, I want my ducks in a row. And I'm at a season that I'm calling fourth quarter of ministry. After four decades of ministry, I now know things are shifting. I'm handing things over. And I would never do something like that unless I knew what's next. And I'm going to be brutally honest with you. I have no idea what's next. No, I know what's not next, and it's called retirement. I am not a great nomad. I, I might be great, but I'm not a nomad. And, and I'm, not, I'm not leaving one thing so I can just go off and travel in my caravan. Or something. If you do that, I'm not putting you down. It's just not me. It's not what I'm wired for and stuff like that. But I want to tell you how disconcerting this is. And I'll tell you, if another prophetic person comes up to me and tells me, God's not finished with you, he'll tell you at the last minute, I'm going to slap you silly. <laughs> I'm sitting over here just last month and Heidi was the first one that she comes to us, the first one, and she says, God's not finished with it yet, he's got all that. And I'm going, I get it, I've heard it, I know. Now just tell me what it is. I don't like waiting, but I know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna know what it is until I get in the white room. 
because I know there's a purpose. I know this deep inside my soul that every one of us are created with a will and a purpose and a plan from God. It says, you know, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you to what? To will and to do his good purpose. God has a good purpose for every one of you, but you're not going to get it until you get in that white room with him where he can talk to you. You know, I'm going to show you what, what's next, but we need to clear some clutter because that's going to that's make you trip up into the future. I'm going to show you what's next, but we need to get this straightened out. It's more important who you are to me first. And you get that in your soul. I'm not your boss. I'm your father. You're not my employee. You don't work for me. We do the kingdom together. Sometimes we've got to get away with God for that. If I can drive anything home today, it says, get along with your father. Listen, learn to hear his voice because there are a lot of voices that will scream at you every day telling you what makes you important, what makes you successful, and what you should do, and who you should be. You get along with your father, and he'll tell you who you are. And he'll tell you what he trusts you with. And he will take you to a place, the Bible says in Proverbs that we make our plans, but God guides our steps. I've got all these plans. They mean nothing unless God is guiding my steps. Because the steps of a good man or a good woman are ordered by the Lord. He orders your steps and he loves the way they go when you wait on him. Can we just stand our feet for a minute? I want to pray for you quickly because this is important. We are in probably the most cluttered season of every year. And we need to take the time to get along with our Father and say, Hey, this was about you and your kingdom from the very beginning. This wasn't meant to be a silly season. It was meant to be a defining season of what we are to be and to, to, to do on this planet for your kingdom. Every one of us, you have a good purpose. So, Father, in Jesus' name, the thing I want to pray about right now is the ability to silence all the voices that want to try to tell us what we should be, where we should go, and how we do it. People trying to define us or accept us I put importance or labels on us by all of this stuff around us. God, we want to lay at your feet. Paul said all that stuff's just rubbish. I just lay all that down to the garbage heap because I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Father, there's a lot of stuff right now that's just crowding our world. We need to switch it off. We need to get the weight room. God, I need to be in that place where I take nothing in there with me but your presence, your word, your spirit. I know your plans for us are good. Your plans are to prosper us, not to harm us, to give us a great future. Your word says that your will is good and perfect and pleasing. Father, I just really sense that some people here need to get to know your heart. Because it's not about a job. It's about knowing you. And you know who you're speaking to about that. God, they just feel so distant from you. They feel so removed. They feel like you're just not talking to them. And the reality is you're waiting. You're waiting for them to turn off their noise. 
so you can speak clearly. And I believe, God, there are plans, especially for these next generations, there are plans that are just so amazing that if you begin to show us here this moment, it would just blow our minds. Your word says you are able to do abundantly, exceedingly above everything we could even imagine. And you do that according to your power that's at work within us. You're just waiting to reveal that and to lose that if we're ready to wait on you. Get you strength. Hear your voice. Know your heart. Well, there's a city out there that you love incredibly. Broken people, lost people, searching people. And you're just waiting for your people, God, to walk with you through this city with the kingdom of God that knows no end, that shapes the kingdoms of this world. Father, we need to wait on purpose. We see it in Jesus' life so clearly. Defined him, directed him, strengthened him, encouraged him, took him all the way to the cross. Just with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask this before I hand it over to Mel. If today you're just really struggling to find the purpose of God in your world, everything just seems to be cluttered, crowded, confused, noisy, whatever around you, and you know this. I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you down. I just want to pray for you because I know my Father's heart. And His heart for you is good. He's not hiding it from you. He is waiting for you to wait on Him. But you're saying, yeah, that's me right now. I just can't seem to get that clarity, the clutter, the noise, the confusion, even the insecurity is there. And I'd just like to pray for you that this will not be the silly season for you. It will literally become an incredible, joyous season where you hear the Father's voice. Just put your hand up and let me know who I'm praying for. If that's you, good for you, good for you, anybody else. Just keep it up for a minute. Keep it up. Good for you, good for you. Yeah, awesome. Anybody else? Just quickly. Father, I want to thank you for everyone right now who's saying, I'm just needing to work through stuff. I need to get through the clutter of life. I need to get out and get there's wrong voices or not. Whatever it is, God, you know what it is. I'm not even going to try to predict it. I'm just going to say you're good. You're so good. And Father, you are the master at learning how to walk them out of the cluttered place. So I pray, God, the next time they seek your face, there'll be faith, there'll be grace, there'll be empowerment. That God, you will do amazing things to show your love and your grace and your favor and your purpose on their life. Father, they're waiting on you. I'm just going to prophetically declare your word over you, over them, that as they wait upon you, they're gaining new strength. They will run without becoming weary. They will walk and not faint. So renewal and strengthening coming upon them as they wait upon you in Jesus' name.